Hello and welcome to the Soul Files podcast. I am Levi Wolf. And I am Abby Murphy. And together we host this podcast. We decided to make this podcast because we are passionate about the people who work at Software One. Between Abby and I, we have 17 years of Software One experience across a number of different roles and locations. And we love getting the chance to dive deeper into the culture of the company. This podcast is a behind the scenes look at some of our friends at Software One. We call them Swomies. The things they do at work and even some of their hobbies and activities outside of work. So whether you're a current employee, a prospective new Swomi, a Software One alumni, a customer, a partner, or just a friend of the show, we hope you enjoy this deep dive into the people of Software One and the things that make them great. Enjoy the show. Awesome. Well, today we have a special guest on the podcast, um, someone who is a part of M2, which we're going to dive into in just a second. But before we get there, Carla, why don't you um, let us know uh, maybe your name, your role at Software One, um, where you're located, and then we'll go from there. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Carla Velasco. I am based out of Phoenix, Arizona. I have a lot of Swomies here in town that I've gotten a chance to connect and uh, collaborate with. So I'm really excited to be here. And I am on the software uh, sales side of things with M2. So my official role is business development I guess we've changed from manager to executive now, uh, from executive <laughs> manager, um, and we have a whole team of people that were hired just here in Norham and actually throughout the world to sell M2 and to put that in the hands of new companies throughout the world. And th- was there another thing that you asked? No, me? I think I think that's perfect. And we're going to really dive into M2 and what it is. So that was just kind of a teaser. But before we get to that, we want to get to know Carla, the person. So, um, Abby, why don't you start us off with some of those um, maybe background personal questions that we want to ask? Yeah. So, Carla, we were so excited to have met you at Accelerate. Um, and you knew about the podcast. And and now we want to learn all about you. <laughs> so <clears throat> can you start by, I think one of my favorite questions are, is there anything that like you're really into right now, like a hobby, or maybe like you just watched a a TV show or a movie or read a book or an interesting article. Um, tell us about something that, that you're into right now. Yeah. So I am a, you know, nerd to the nth degree. Uh, <laughs> and because I've worked in technology and in front of my computer so much over the last uh, about eight years, I really like to step away from my hobbies away from the screen. And so I am a, an orchid nerd, actually. Oh. And even though I live in one of the hottest places in this country and driest places, not very conducive to orchid growing, I do have a, a greenhouse that I've built in my backyard. It's a wow. 13 foot by 18 foot greenhouse. And it probably has close to 700 orchids in there. Um, and, and before you ask, no, I do not sell them. I actually <laughs> buy them. I buy more and more and more. And <laughs> I get them to bloom and rebloom. And there are a couple of shows every year that um, I show my orchids in. So I put up a display and you know, there's ribbon judging. And, and I'm also in this program to become... Uh, judge with the American Orchid Society. So it's a seven-year program. It's They equate it to a PhD in orchids. So wow. um, that's, that's so kind cool. of my special kind of nerdiness. Um, and so, and I, I love all things plants and flowers. So I have a garden and 
um, yeah, it, it gets pretty crowded in my backyard just because I can never find enough space to put in yet one more plant. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. It, it sounds like there's a very specific subculture around the orchid world. Like, is oh, there anything that defines absolutely. that, like, group of people, you would say? <laughs> yeah, we, we actually refer to each other as orcaholics. And, um, <laughs> and the reason is, I think that one of the main reasons that we kind of all got attracted to orchids is because they are kind of known as a challenge to grow and to bloom. And, you know, we're that special kind of person that loves a challenge. So um, <laughs> I actually started growing orchids when I was in college and I went to college out in Florida. So which is probably the ideal place to grow orchids. I was just getting into it then. But every time I've moved, I've had, you know, orchids in my life. And you'll hear these stories of people that have been growing orchids for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And the interesting part is that um, as orchids have become more popular, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world for cultivation, um, they've become the, the price points are a lot cheaper, too. So you used to have to purchase an orchid for hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars. And now they're available for just a few bucks uh, from your store, you know, a grocery store or wherever. So um, I think that we just like a challenge and they are really um, incredible plants to, to grow and bloom. That is so cool. For those um, who might be listening and are wondering, I mean, obviously it's a type of flower, but what's like the quick 15 second description of what's an orchid? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And actually, I didn't know this until I started going to the Orchid Society a few years ago. But what distinguishes an orchid from any other kind of flowering uh, flower, I guess, um, is that the orchid will have at least one piece on it that looks completely different than the others. So for example, if you think of a rose, all the petals kind of look the same, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas on an orchid, you may have like uh, four, you know, what, what look kind of like petals. And then there's one that looks completely different. And that's what we call the lip. Um, and if you think about the grocery store orchids, it's the one that kind of juts out from the center of the, the flower. So when people walk around, like in the jungle, they're like, oh, that's an orchid because there's one piece on it that looks completely different than the other ones. So do are most orchids like, are they um, like, do they, how long do they bloom for? Or do they come back every year? Or like, is it uh, off bloom and then not? Or do they die? Like, how, how does that work? What's the life cycle? So there are over 27,000 species of orchids worldwide. And so um, there are some that just bloom for a few hours or a couple of days. And there are some that will be in bloom for months at a time. And, uh, you know, the whole purpose of the, the blooming orchid is to attract a pollinator so that they can, you know, procreate. So it's really all about sex. Um, and so... <laughs> Uh, so really like, you know, it's hard to distinguish, but I would say that in cultivation, um, at, at least for the types of orchids that I like to grow, because I like the most bang for my buck. Um, I like orchids that are probably in bloom for at least a couple of weeks, if not, you know, even into the month, uh, standpoint. So, um, the longer, the better. And I particularly like orchids that are fragrant. Um, you all consume vanilla. I, I suspect, right, in one mm -hmm. shape or form, vanilla ice cream, yeah. et cetera. Vanilla, the vanilla bean is actually, uh, it comes from an orchid. So there is a vanilla vine that produces flowers and they have to be um, pollinated by a very specific type of bee. And then that will produce a little pod. And that's what we, you know, cut off the, the, the plant and use for vanilla. So wild. Um, I always recognize a flower on like the vanilla, like, <laughs> like bean package, if you will. Exactly. And so it makes uh, sense that that's what it is. I uh, guess I should have put two and two together. 
This is awesome. great. Uh, yeah, I feel want... like I could talk about this like yeah. for the next 20 minutes. This is so for, fascinating. For, for, maybe this, for the sake of our time, we'll, we'll, we'll pivot. <laughs> but Levi's going to cut me off. <laughs> every, everyone can come back to Carla um, with all their orchid questions. But yes. I, I guess the, maybe the other thing I'll – you mentioned briefly, I think you were in Florida for college. Mm-hmm. So like maybe tell us about like have you always been um, – you said you're in Arizona now. So like – where have you lived? Where have you, where'd you grow up? Like, where have you been uh, across the U.S.? Yeah. So um, I grew up in a very humble uh, household. I, I was born in Mexico, but we immigrated to the United States and I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. And we never went anywhere. We were so poor. We couldn't afford to go anywhere. So the furthest uh, east that I traveled was El Paso, Texas, until I got a full scholarship to Florida State. So my parents just put me on a plane and said, good luck. <laughs> we'll see you in four years. Um, but really, that's what started my uh, affinity for for travel. And so um, the more you know, the more I could within college, I you know we took road trips and whatnot. Um, so I did live in Florida. I lived in Tallahassee for four and a half, five years. Um, it was I worked there for my first kind of six months out of college. Uh, I lived in Orlando, and then in 2019, or pardon me, 20, 2009, when the recession happened, um, I knew I was going to have to move. I was working in structural engineering at the time. And there wasn't anyone in Florida hiring structural engineers and I've been laid off. So I was like, well, if I'm going to move, I may as well move somewhere cool. So I actually went to South Korea and I taught English there for a year. And that's actually where my whole plan was to be in in Asia and in particular Korea for the next five to seven years. But I met my husband there and he's actually from Tucson. We grew up 15 minutes from one another, but we met (laughs) hiking in South Korea. And so he was, he was stationed in the military. And so he was stationed, um, in, uh, right after Korea, he went to central Texas, Colleen, Texas, which is in the middle of nowhere. Um, if you've been in that neck of the woods, it's kind of an hour North of Austin and about 45 minutes South of Waco. And so I moved out there with him. Um, he deployed to Iraq and that's when I moved back to Phoenix. So I've lived some time, most of my life in Arizona that year in Korea and then, uh, of course, in Texas and also um, Florida. So that was kind of my little roundabout um, travel experience. Yeah, that's amazing. And, um, and he and I really enjoy traveling. We've um, uh, we took a trip in 20, 2012, I believe. We went to Europe for about five weeks seven or eight countries, like 12 cities. It was amazing. So we really like to travel. We do a lot less now because we have kids and that complicates everything. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have Um, any trips coming up? We actually just got back from a long weekend trip. Um, We went up to Northern Arizona. So we got to see the Grand Canyon. The kids had never been there before. Um, I was really tempted to throw my little hurricane five-year-old over the edge, but I resisted (laughs) the urge. Um, He's great, but he's just a real handful. Um, So we hit the Grand Canyon. We went up to Page, Arizona, which is where um, the Horseshoe Bend is in the Colorado River and that big, um, you know, kind of. Well, you've seen it in photos, I I suspect. Um, And then stopped in Flagstaff. And, you know, it was because we live in southern Arizona. It's it's already warm here. It's going to be 93 today. So we had to don our, you know, parkas and whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) But no international trips planned um, for the near future, just because. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's harder with kids and with international uncertainty and COVID and, and whatnot. Um, exactly. Abby, you want anything else you want to hit before we move to the work section? 
Oh man, you know I could talk about just people all day long if I could, but we should probably switch to work. <laughs> okay, Actually, well, maybe a good pivot was you mentioned that you uh, um, you studied structural engineering. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Um, and so, were you in like like an engineer role, and like what shifted you into the um, sales side of things? Yeah. So, uh, so the degree was in civil engineering, but within civil, there are multiple um, sub sections, right? And so my affinity has always been in structures. Um, and so when I worked in Florida, I was um, designing primarily concrete and steel. You know, it's it's the frame, right? The frame that holds mm-hmm. everything up. And so um, I did that for almost four years. And then that's when the recession hit and I had to pivot and move to Korea and I was teaching out there. So um, I kind of bounced around a little bit with what I wanted to do. Ultimately, I, I really enjoy working directly with people. And even though I can sit down and do calculations and um, work on design. My real passion was to work one-on-one and try to solve problems with people. So the project management side of engineering really appealed to me. And so um, I was still kind of in education back in 2012 or so uh, when my former boss and recruiter called me up and said, hey, um, it's really too bad. You don't want to go back into engineering because has some really interesting opportunities. So um, he, his role is really all about pairing people up that have a technical background that can also communicate like human beings with people to try to resolve issues and yeah. try to help them. And so I, you know, I started my first sales role um, back in 2012 to 2013, and I just found it was a really good uh, leveraging of my personal affinity to just talk to people. So um, I started that sales role and I was uh, selling concrete software at the time. So it was for structural engineers, structural analysis was right up my alley. And then I'd kind of been doing that for the last uh, six and a half, seven years. Um, and that's kind of where Software One found me when um, they started the M2 initiative and they started onboarding people to work on this uh, M2 vertical. Yeah, that, that leads right into the next question I was wondering is, um, you know, how, how did you find software one and maybe walk us through what that looked like? Because we, you know, Abby and I know software one from, um, not necessarily the construction side, not the M2 side, Mm -hmm. um, but you would have probably been introduced to it from a completely different angle. So yeah. What did that look like? and, And how did you find the software one folks? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, Software One found me. And at the time, I wasn't even looking for a new opportunity. But, uh, you know, someone from Software One reached out via LinkedIn and said, hey, uh, would you consider this? And I, you know, I think I'd heard about Software One because you are... uh, there are companies that purchase some of the software that I was selling at the time through Software One, sure. um, and so I, you know, I'd heard the name before, but I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to it at all. Um, and so I started doing research, and it it seemed a little weird because um, what would <laughs> Software One want with a former structural engineer, you know, for their tech business? And I'm like, I don't speak this language, this IT language that you all talk. Uh, that's not really where my forte is. And so once I started the conversation with Software for one, it really became apparent that this was a very uh, interesting and new opportunity that Software One was branching out into this construction side of of the world uh, to try to leverage um, 
resource, human resources to understand those problems that technology, uh, that construction is facing to apply technology to improve processes. And that really resonated uh, with me. And so I thought it was a great, uh, yet another step for me um, at that time, you know, I felt like I was a bit of a maybe medium sized fish in a small the small bowl. And I was ready to step into this new arena where I, I like feeling like a small fish and, you know, <laughs> coming in and, and learning more. And I, I just felt like I'd reached a point in my career where um, there was more to learn, but um, not stuff that I was ultimately excited about. So I wanted to be part of a new initiative uh, with a new product to the market that could really change the outcome of how we build on this planet. So that's what interested me in M2 and Software One. So can you tell us a little bit more about M2 and the relationship with, is it RIB or RIB software? We internally, we call it both ways. It depends okay, on, okay. you know, sometimes we call it RIB and sometimes we call it RIB. Uh, so RIB and Software One entered into this strategic partnership, uh, I want to say back in 2020. And so um, because RIB has provided uh, technology and p- different platforms for the architecture, engineering, and construction space for over 60 years, and they've been really great at that, and Software One has this long history of providing services around technology, they thought it would be a good marriage of the two uh, strengths of both companies. And so they, they partnered uh, together, and so our team... Uh, that was hired directly from this AEC space is really trying to put M2 into the hands of as many companies as we can. And there was uh, an on-prem solution that was kind of the predecessor to M2 and they called it I2. Um, But now that it's uh, migrated, that was that on-prem solution, but it's migrated over to Microsoft Azure. That's where the M in the M2 comes from. They, um, they decided that, you know, this would be a really good opportunity for software one to get on board and to really, you know, be the, the 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 group of people that go out there and educate the market as to the fact that we exist. Um, M2 and I2 have really had a dominance in Germany. And so I think it's been hard for RIB to share that gospel across borders. And uh, this is just a good opportunity for us to start in on a ground floor opportunity and and put that word out there. So um, interestingly, I know that we we talk about M2 as being something for construction companies, but it's not just for companies that do construction. Uh, it could also be for an owner that's uh, thinking about putting up a, a few, you know, some buildings or, um, for example, one of our clients is going to be Microsoft. They're building a lot of data centers and facilities. And so it's a great opportunity for them to use M2 to manage everything associated with their projects so that uh, they can manage those general contractors or their subcontractors, et cetera, um, manage the cost, manage the schedule. Um, Because traditionally, construction is always over budget and it's always behind schedule. So we want to build better and build more effectively with uh, the use of M2. And um, we play a little game where I ask you a few acronyms and you can help me define them. Oh boy, this could be tough. For sure. <laughs> no, no, the, the, these aren't software one specific. These are, I think, more specific to you. Just for our listeners, um, AEC, okay. uh, Architecture, Engineering, Construction. So that's kind of the the type of vertical you play in, correct? Correct. Okay, um, and then I think I've seen five D somewhere. Ah, yes. So we think of uh, a three dimensional model or object, right? Length, width, height. 
Um, we add a fourth dimension, which is time. So that's when we tie our 3D, let's say, building model to our schedule. And then we add a fifth dimension, which is cost. So in the software, you can actually run simulations that are 5D simulations so that you can see your project being built over time and the cost that it is acquiring as the project develops. And actually, I'll add a sixth and seventh dimension to that. So the sixth <laughs> dimension to that will be sustainability and carbon tracking. So we want to know from the model standpoint, and as we're making these choices about how we build things, we want to know how much carbon our building is going to consume, right? And we want to be able to reduce that carbon footprint as much as possible. And then uh, the seventh dimension would be the facility management. So once your project is built, how we manage this uh, this building, for example, when do we do maintenance, when do we swap out light bulbs, etc. So hopefully the, the platform is headed in that direction where all of these multiple dimensions of a project will be incorporated. I love the sustainability piece. So good to know that it's 7D instead of 5D. And the last yeah. one I have, and I mean, none of these should be too scary, but M2, <laughs> is that um, a product or is it a division of software one or both? <laughs> Ooh, um, and does it stand for something? Cause it's the yeah. two is spelled out, which is so, funny because we spell it one in software one and I recently yeah. that's an acronym. So, um, okay. Let me start with what it means. So the two component, uh, comes from the fact that we're going to be building, let's say an asset, right? Whether it's a bridge or a road or a building, I like to stick to buildings because that's where my background is. And we are creating a digital twin of that building in our platform. Okay. So that's where the two, that's the digital twin component. So there are two of these, there's a physical model and there's a software model associated with that. So the M in M2 comes from that Microsoft Azure component. So you're building a digital twin in Microsoft Azure in the platform. And it is the name of the product. So if you were to go on Google and do a search for M2 software or M2 platform, you would see information about what it is. But that's also what we call our team. I mean, we are the software one team, uh, but that can be a little deceptive because we don't talk the regular software one language. So we call ourselves the M2 software one team or the software one M2 team. Um, and as far as what our division is called, I think that they're calling it something else. I think that they're calling it SIM2. And I'm not sure where that comes from. <laughs> so you don't know what SIM stands for. <laughs> like, I, the, I like, like the computer uh, game, like where you would build your own little uh, world. It's like. <laughs> yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not sure where that all. But I think that that was initially what we were told, that we were the SIM2 team. But SIM2. Yeah. I'm not sure where that comes from. Yeah. Wow. I've learned like, so much. I think this is the most I've ever learned in an episode. <laughs> and we're only 20 minutes in. It's it's awesome. So maybe now that that was helpful for defining a few things. So maybe now that we've said that, like, you know, give us a sense of how long you've been at Software One and like what, I guess, what sort of impact you've already seen with having these conversations with customers or um, maybe in addition to that, you know, we assume some software one folks are going to be listening to this. So what are some ways where they could maybe, you know, perk their ears up and bring you in on a conversation? Sure. Uh, so I've personally been with software one about 10 months. I think I just hit my 10 month anniversary about a week ago and the whole team actually that works under this M2 vertical 
is uh, fairly new as well. We all were hired around the same time. So some people are coming up on a year. I think that the first hires probably started in early April. And so the team is very young, but uh, we like to think of ourselves as, I mean, we've been invested in M2 now for about a year, really neck deep in all, all of the processes, et cetera. But we also have that RIB team, right, that provides all of this uh, expertise and development um, that has 60 plus years worth of experience. So um, don't think of us as a young team. We're a young team that's backed up by, you know, decades of expertise when it comes to that platform. Uh, As far as the gains, we are, um, one of the things that we like to do early on is establish what these pain points of these companies that we want to connect with are, Uh, because it's really not so much about what we can do as a whole. The platform can do a lot and we can sit here for three days and not cover everything that the platform can do and ways in which it can be leveraged. We really want to find out where the pain points are of whatever company that we're talking to. So is it an owner that's looking to do a lot of work uh, construction-wise and they want to manage all of the stakeholders associated with that project? Or is it a general contractor that has very fragmented pieces in their workflow and none of the data talks to one another. It's very uh, siloed. And so therefore, when they make decisions, it's kind of like, you know, taking a stab in the dark. Uh, We want to really improve your processes so that you're making data-driven decisions. And so we like to uh, have these conversations with these companies and also, uh, you know, at that point, come up with a plan of what their process uh, would look like in M2. And so we have what are called these workshops. And in these workshops, you know, we really tailor that experience to that particular company and their needs. So there is no one size fits all. We're completely fabricating and making this uh, to tailor this experience to you and your um, company. And so one of the wins, uh, we just completed one a couple of weeks ago with a company up in Canada. And apparently they spent a lot more uh, on something similar with a with another company where that company generated a report that pretty much told them everything that they knew about their processes already. It wasn't very helpful. And here we are a few years later uh, doing this workshop with them, and they found that to be incredibly useful and incredibly uh, insightful as to how they envision their future to be, you know, hopefully also within the M2 platform. So we are having these workshop gains, and we really hope to be putting this uh, these licenses into the hands of as many companies as possible, uh, hopefully in the next six months to a year. And as far as uh, people from Software One, um, when when you hear other com- other people at Software One talking about how we how we provide the best services for our clients, right? It, it those services may only uh, what you talk to your customer about may only be from your standpoint and your knowledge base. And so we really want to leverage other Swomis across the organization because they they have different expertise and they bring a different viewpoint to the conversation. Well, I would love them to think of us in that similar way. If they are talking to a, an owner that's building anything or a subcontractor, maybe electrical or, you know, concrete or something, or a general contractor as well, I would love them to think, well, how else can I add value to this customer? I'm providing, you know, I may be doing a lot of software purchasing for them. I may be managing their security, you know, I know there are other software one uh, services beyond that point, Um, but how else can I bring value? And you can bring value by adding our team 
to that conversation because maybe we don't understand the technical, uh, you know, the technical IT portion of the conversation. We, but we absolutely understand their process. We all came from this space, and so not only can we sympathize, but we're we're also able to see a bird's eye view of where we can improve processes to really improve your bottom line. Let's deliver 90% of your projects on schedule. Let's deliver 100% of your projects under budget. That would be ideal. Very business outcome focused, which yeah, I think I is, is something important that that we think about. It's not um, trying to you know peg a customer to some product that we think is good. It's really fo- it's, from listening to you talk is really focusing on their business outcomes and then working backwards from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The number one thing that our team provides is that technical expertise because we came directly from this space. So this might be a bit of a naive question, but you know, in my head, I'm thinking of construction sites, right? And you think of that mm-hmm. little trailer, you know, people are huddled in there and they're probably, you know, not the greatest facilities and they feel like more old school, right? Like maybe they're not as modern. So are you, do you feel like they would have to be already a little bit IT, you know, tech savvy and modern to be able to have this discussion or it doesn't matter where they are, you know, you can still have this discussion and maybe help them get to a more 2022 version of what it should look like? Sure. Um, well, we're talking to companies of all size, all sizes. Uh, I'm engaging with two that are essentially the top one and two uh, companies in their field in the world. And across the board, whether we're talking to a very large organization or a much smaller one, the the pain is essentially the same, that we are really not leveraging technology to our betterment. People are using Excel for their estimates. There's a lot of uh, duplication of efforts where maybe someone is looking at drawings and counting different items, right, for quantity takeoff, and then they're manually having to put that in somewhere. There's a lot of room for error. And so don't be daunted by the technology because we will help you every step of the way to roll out a process that works for you and your organization. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I will say that we can't possibly implement change, you know, at at the click of a button, right? It comes in incremental steps. And those steps are outlined by your organization's needs and that path that we set forward with goals with our team as well as we go into implementation. So please don't be daunted. Uh, every In order for change to happen, you need to admit that there's change that should happen and you would like to happen. And so it really starts there. If you if there are things that you would like to change about your organization and the way that you deliver your business outcomes, then you should absolutely be speaking with us because there are ways that we can improve that process. Excellent. Well, uh, we're at about a half hour. Um, Levi, do you have any other questions that you want to make sure we ask or should we have Carla say whatever she wants to to like wrap it up or if there's any like final things she wants to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's fair. I I think we can um, give Carla maybe a last platform to (laughs) final thoughts, comments, anything. And then um, yeah, maybe we can summarize too, but so far it's been great. Ooh, I'm getting put on the spot again. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to the summary. (laughs) 
in summary, uh, I, I think that I speak for the whole team when I say that we are very happy to be part of the Software One family. And at every step of the way, we've been made to feel you know welcome and the culture has been so important here. Um, and the, the culture that we're fostering within our vertical is also super important. And um, really, we're here to help. We're here to help our customers, our current customers that are in this space. We're here to help any potential customers that we're talking to. We're here to add value. And we don't fight very hard. So please, uh, you know, pick up a, a phone, give us a buzz, uh, reach us on Teams or via email. Uh, we would love to have these discussions and really find ways of coming together to provide the best outcome for all of our clients. So with that, I... That's hey, good. Abby, can I put you on the spot while we have everyone here? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> if we, uh, we, we used to do this. If we had to like pick a core value that you feel you hear coming through from listening to Carla speak, what would you pick? Passion. Yeah, same. 100%. Yeah, For yeah. Sure. And I, I, I thought you were really going to like, <laughs> throw <me a> <laughs> there. <laughs> no, no. And I guess what I just wanted to add my last two cents is like, as I listen to this, you know, hopefully there's some software one folks listening, maybe some external folks, whatever. What I really see is the unique aspect of it. Right. So um, it sounds like we're pretty much the only ones in the world who are doing this 5d, 7d <laughs> um, discussion. So it's very business outcome driven, very unique to software one and to the team we have experts in and they're hundred percent software one employees. So they're here to, to work <laughs> and collaborate with us, right? There's no, no conflict, no moving it to another team. So thank you so much, Carla. Um, yeah, thank you. Also, thank you. I just want to say my mom's name is Carla with a K. So I always <laughs> love seeing it spelled with a K. Um, so <laughs> bonus points to that. <laughs> I that. That's great. Yeah. And we really enjoyed having you on. So hopefully yeah. everyone will blow you up after this because they'll be reaching out to ask so many questions. And I, I want to see that. a picture of all the orchids in your greenhouse. So you should put that in our team's chat. And then I'm oh, sure absolutely. people who have listened will also be reaching out because it's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I, I look forward to that. It's uh, really amazing. And um, thank you for inviting me and having me on. And uh, thank you for bringing us all on to be part of the Software One team and family. That's been another episode of The Swope Files. Music, editing, and mixing by Brandon Avenger. And we love to hear from you. So send us your feedback and future guest recommendations. We're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe to never miss an episode. Thank you.